It is Thursday here on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. Chuck Zada, once again flying solo, Mark Schofield, continuing his final preseason wrap-up, his final preseason preparation before he finally has all of his quarterback prep work ready to go. It is Thursday here, as I mentioned, and I do want to remind all of our listeners that today's show is brought to you by Crossover Football, giving coaches the ability to break down game film in order to pull stats, searchable clips, tendency reports, and much more from both desktop and mobile solutions. To try one game for free, sign up for a demo at crossover.com slash pylon. That's crossover with a K dot com slash pylon, and you get one free breakdown if you sign up today. Today, fortunately enough, even though I am on my own hosting the show, I've got Shane Alexander, co-host of the Pylon U podcast. For those of you who don't already subscribe, make sure you get over onto iTunes and subscribe. Him and Jeff Fair do some phenomenal work over there. They put out a couple shows a week right now. They're ramping up as the season starts. But Shane, welcome aboard, buddy. It's good to, we haven't we haven't chatted in a couple weeks. I don't think it's been several weeks before the season um, had started. So it's it's good to get back together and chat about what I think was the best week one of college football. In my somewhat adult lifetime, um, I'm still reeling from that four days. Well, the, the good news for you, Bama's still undefeated. They are still undefeated. We got. We I got, was telling. I'm sorry. I was. I was gonna say. I was telling Jeff on the other podcast, Pylon. You subscribe iTunes, SoundCloud. I said Bama's not good yet, but they're still great. Like they haven't got stuff figured out yet, and they still look like the best team in college football. It's a good problem to have. Well, and, and I'll tell you, you know, talking about that, I remember that when we had you on the last time, you were talking about that Bama team, and you said, look, defense, ready to go, you know, run the table, whatever you got to do. Offense, still a little work to do. Is that still how you feel at this point? It is. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Jalen Hurts is the starter for the entirety of the season, but I also wouldn't be surprised if Saban let it really play out this week against Western Kentucky. And so I think that they'll get this quarterback uh, battle wrapped up by next week, but they'll let it play out another week. Running backs, Scarborough and Harris, they're still going to you know, switch up, and, and they're going to have to work to find who's RB1 and RB2. They've never had this um, kind of battle at that position. There's always been one guy they knew was going to be the starter. And then the offensive line, they sprung a couple of really long blocks, but for the most part, they struggled in the run game against a USC team who's not great on the defensive line. So we're placing three guys. They're, they're going to work those kinks out. No, they just beat USC 52-6, to six, so I'm, it probably seems like I'm being dramatic. Within the context of how good Alabama is, their only judge is against themselves. They still have some stuff to work out to be the team that they want to be. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think about it. When's the last time Nick Saban had a legitimate quarterback competition? I mean, his, his teams never have that. Like, you never hear about that with that being a right. problem. Yeah, you know, the, the A.J. McCarron, Philip Sims year, I guess five years ago now, I don't think it was ever really a competition. I don't think it was really ever a competition two years ago with Blake Sims. Um, and I don't really think it was. It was sort of a competition last year, but even still, they wanted Coker to win it. I think this year's the first time that they've had two guys where they, they both want them to do well. Like, Blake Barnett is very much Lane Kiffin's quarterback. He wanted him at USC. He brought him with him to Alabama. Jalen Hurts is a dynamic that they've never had at quarterback, and obviously Saban thinks a lot of him. He let him play the majority of the game on Saturday. So this is a real battle because not only are both worthy, they're both very liked by Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban. So it's a good problem to have. I don't think they'll get into a situation where they 
manage them like Malik Zaire and Deshaun Kaiser was managed last Saturday, and it becomes a detriment to the team's success. Um, but it is a real competition. Let's talk a little bit about some guys that caught your eye over the past weekend. Obviously, everyone's got their preseason watch list where they name, you know, here's my top 10 guys at this position or my top 25 or top 50 guys overall that I'm watching. I'm curious about the guys that maybe weren't on your list during the preseason, but week one caught your eye and you say, you know what? I don't know what you are yet, but I want to follow you for a few weeks and kind of see what happens. Who's, who's a guy that kind of caught your eye in that way? Well, it's, it's sort of a vanilla, vanilla choice if you watch the weekend, but Deshaun Kaiser has taken the scouting uh, world and just the casual football world by storm because this class has such a lack of known depth. You know, you never know how good a class is going to be until it plays out, but going into the year, you usually have an idea. And this year, it's just Deshaun Watson and a bunch of, uh, you know, pretenders, I think. Kaiser can really step in and not be just quarterback two in this class. I think he has the tools to be the best quarterback in this class. I think he's right up there with Watson based off tools. Now, I'm not trying to get ahead of myself and project him to be a first-rounder, but he has a chance to, to work himself into a top-five pick contention based off this year because he just got named the permanent starter tonight before we got on air. So Kaiser caught my caught my eye not only as a college football player, but you know I do scouting is, is where I kind of – um, you know, that's where I make ends meet, so to speak. Yeah, that's that's my lifeblood. And he's quarterback two for me, I think, after one week. So Kaiser on the offense, on the defense, it was Ed Oliver, the defensive tackle from Houston, a true freshman. We won't talk about him in terms of NFL prospects for a while, but there's some NFL execs probably wishing he could be a first round quality eligible defensive tackle in 2017 class. He's one of the most dominant uh, true freshman interior defensive lineman I, that I've ever seen at the college level. He felt like a natural starter. He was a star of that defense. And so he's on national radars. You knew he was a highly rated prospect if you follow recruiting, but until a guy gets to college and you see him play a game, you don't know. So Kaiser and Ed Oliver, to me, they really stole the spotlight in a great, great weekend altogether. Shane, talking a little bit more about Houston here. Talk to me about why it seems like we're seeing more teams like this, the teams that aren't, you know, traditional powerhouses, the teams that are a little bit off the radar. But, you know, the last couple of years, it seems like we've been getting a little bit more parity in college football. I don't know why. I was talking with Trevor Sikama earlier this week about it. Any thoughts on why we may be seeing that right now? Even though, you know, this you, you've got all these super conferences coming together and all this consolidation, right? but you've got these different teams that are somehow able to put, you know, put good squads together. Well, the first thing is the world and the country is smaller than it ever has been in terms of accessibility. You can reach someone at any level, anywhere. And so the fact that these schools can go out and recruit nationally is huge. Also, Houston is location, location, location. They are a Texas school. They have resources. They've brought in Tom Herman, who knows how to win, who knows how to be a professional, learned under Urban Meyer at Ohio State. He knows not only how to win – but how to keep adapting and evolving because every year uh, more things come out. I think he's doing a lot of stuff strength and conditioning-wise that you haven't seen smaller schools do because they didn't have the funding. Now the funding is there for these smaller schools to really dive into health and nutrition and weightlifting. Houston looked like a, like an SEC team on Saturday versus Oklahoma. There was no size or speed differential. So just the access – the intellect, the knowledge, and the advancement in health and conditioning, um, and just social media and, and sort of that, you know, th that accessibility. I mean, you can you can recruit a kid uh, just with a click of a button now, and satellite camps and the whole nine. So, small schools and mid-tier schools actually do have an advantage if they channel it right. 
Um, and Houston is one of those teams that they're just firing on all cylinders. Well, and I'll tell you, if the first week is any uh, indication, it's about as good of a thing as you can have for college football. It's great. Absolutely. If they win out, because I think that they can beat Louisville, who's going to be really good, and I think there's going to be some American conference teams that get ranked eventually, so they'll have a good resume. If they win out, I think they have to be a playoff team if they're 13-0 and going into that that playoff Sunday where the teams get announced. They're, they can hang. I think they're that good. Yep. You, hey, look, you, you got me sold at this point. If I'm on that committee, I'm tossing them. Look, week one, I'm tossing them in. I, I'll toss everyone in on week one, though, so I'm not yeah. really the right person to judge on that. Talking with Shane Alexander from the Pile on You podcast, before we go a little bit further, want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by Crossover Football. Crossover Football can help coaches to win more games and make smarter use of the film room with your team. Crossover breaks down and stats out your game film, giving you searchable clips, advanced ODK, tendency reports, and a wealth of other great information that you can access from any PC or mobile device. Your formations and your personnel packages can be labeled with your own terminology, and you can create custom highlight reels and exchange video with anyone on any platform, including all of your own players and coaches. To try one game for free... Sign up for a demo at crossover.com slash pylon. That's crossover with a K dot com slash pylon. And you get one free breakdown when you sign up today. Shane, talked a little bit about week one. We turn now to week two. And obviously, got a couple matchups. You know, most most of week two, it's your classic FCS meeting, you know, an FBS team for a couple, for a couple, for a couple, a couple hundred, you know, pay the bills and everything. But we do have a couple games that are a little bit interesting here, and I want to start with this one uh, with a Tennessee team that expectations were high coming in, expectations a little lower after week one, facing a Virginia Tech team that's somewhat in transition as well. What do you see coming out of this game? I see Texas needing to bring their A game or they will get beat. Uh, coming into the season, I was a little bit lower than maybe the, the national um, hype was and, and a little bit lower than even my co-host Chef Fair was. On Tennessee, I thought they finished third in the East behind Georgia and Florida. And not to get into a self-fulfilling prophecy, but I think they showed a lot of that last week against Appalachian State. It comes down to coaching, it comes down to mental prep, and it comes down to their quarterback, Josh Dobbs, making plays and keeping that offense um, rolling and not being stagnant. Virginia Tech, they still have Bud Foster at defense. They're still going to play tough defense. They're going to play smart special teams. And Justin Fuente, the head coach uh, that's replacing Frank Beamer, he's going to run – an up-tempo spread uh, concept. If Texas doesn't bring the reggae defensively, they're going to get scored on. Isaiah Ford and Bucky Hodges, two skill position players for Virginia Tech, that's going to play at the next level. Bucky Hodges may even be one of the two or three best tight ends in the country. So Tennessee is going to have to going to have to bring it. They're going to have to be the team that many think they are. I think the key to the game is getting Jalen Hurd consistent touches and productive touches. There's a difference in in just getting a, a manufactured touch and doing something with it. They're going to have to make sure he gets 20, 25 touches. 150-plus yards from scrimmage. They need control uh, the ball with him. So it's going to be a good matchup. I haven't decided who I'm going to pick yet, um, but I like this Virginia Tech team a lot. In my season preview with Jeff, I talked about how if there was one or two teams in the country that could outperform maybe expectations, it would be Va Tech because of the athletes they had and because of how good I think Justin Fuente is at coaching guys up. Well, look, I, I agree with I mean, Bucky Hodges, big fan of him as well. You know, been watching him. Uh, you know, kind of roll through the ACC over the last couple of years and, you know, never really has had, and in that offense, 
is never really the first option, but you know, you talk about what he's been able to do, 40 catches in back-to-back seasons for a college tight end, you know, first two years, pretty good. Obviously, he's a monster in terms of his size. I think he's, what, 6'7 or 6'8, you know, so he's just an absolute, you know, huge target out there for you, and, and as you said, you know, potentially gives them a pretty good option as, as a pretty good athletic tight end uh, to do some damage here. Pretty cool with this game. Uh, you got to be kind of excited about this game being played uh, at Bristol Speedway. Yeah, they're expecting potentially the biggest crowd ever for a college football game. Yeah, I saw a picture where Neyland Stadium, which is where Tennessee plays, could fit in the outfield of Bristol. Um, that put that in perspective. I think it's going to be 155,000 plus. Yep. So I'm not sure how the fire marshal feels about it, but it's going to be a pretty raucous crowd nonetheless. I'll tell you what, you know what would be really cool is if you had a full NASCAR race going right around this. I don't know how the insurance companies would feel about that, but I like where your head's at. Not, not my problem. They can fig- They got smart people doing that stuff all day. They can figure it out, make it happen. That's all I'm saying. Give me a NASCAR race during a football game. It's everything a growing boy needs. Let's turn and let's talk a little bit about the one other game that I think really stands out from this week, uh, TCU-Arkansas. Okay? Yeah. You know, you've got a TCU team here, you know, starting off season 1-0, ranked 15th in the country here. You know, not, not really playing anyone uh, you know, overly competitive with the South Dakota State team that they ended up winning by 18 in a 59-41 shootout in week one. But, you know, obviously expectations have been raised for this TCU program the last couple of years. But you got an Arkansas program that wants to be able to make a statement that, hey, look, you know, we're, we're not going to be left behind in that SEC West. Talk to me about what you see coming out of this one. Yeah, Arkansas is weird because they, they play down against teams that they shouldn't, as in last week when they almost lost to Louisiana Tech. They had to score a late touchdown to win by one. And yep. then they play up against good teams. Now, is TCU a good team? They have a really good offense. Their defense, who – Always plays well for Gary Patterson. Gave up a lot of points to an FCS team last last week. So whole lot is of TCU, points. Whole lot of points. So is TCU the team uh, that a lot of people thought, including me, that could maybe contend? You know, in the, in the Big Twelve in that in the one two three area, top of the Big Twelve, or are they a team maybe in transition with a, in, especially at defense. Arkansas can score points. Uh, they didn't show it last week, but Brett Bielema has a, a genius at playing Smash Mouth um, and also incorporating spread concepts into his. Into his philosophy, Austin Allen stepping in at quarterback for his brother Brandon. They've got some guys I like a lot at wide receiver, including Drew Morgan and Keon Hatcher. Um, so they can score. They can run the football. Um, I like TCU more in this game, though, because I think Kenny Hill and the things that they do on offense, you know, they remade their offense two seasons ago for Trevon Boykin, and Kenny Hill fits right into that mold. So I just think tempo, and I do think Gary Patterson is going to coach up that defense a little bit. Sometimes week one, you just don't have it all together. Uh, I think it'll be a good game. It's probably the game of the week, but I like TCU to pull it out. You know, I got to tell you, it's it's funny because I, I go back and forth on the whole week two setup that you have in college football these days. Because on one hand, you sit there and you say, "Look, these are the games that allow these FCS teams and these lower level D one, you know, FBS teams to to really kind of pay the bills and balance the checkbook at the end of the year." But then I, I pull up the week three schedule. Oh and I gosh. look there. I look there, and I say, "Okay, wouldn't it be nice to have Florida State, Louisville happening right now? Wouldn't it be nice to have yeah. Alabama, Ole Miss happening right now? Wouldn't it be nice to go and have Oklahoma, Ohio State happening? Michigan State, Notre Dame. Like, yeah. I, I sit there and I say, I understand that we have to go through week two to get to week three, right? But like this, this is one of those that you kind of say, look, let's get past this because that that week three schedule is just loaded." If you don't have three TVs, you're going to miss out. It's 
it's a little bit. Of, it, it, there's no such thing as overkill in college football, but it's a, it's almost overkill. And you're right. Maybe one or two of those games on week two just kind of spread things out. Week three: Alabama, Ole Miss, Florida State, Louisville, Oklahoma, Ohio State. Like, what are you supposed to do with all that? It is just loaded. I mean, it's which one of those are you most excited about? Well, I think you know what I'm going to say. Um, Alabama's going to prove they can beat Ole Miss. They've lost to them now uh, twice. Uh, if if they want to be who they want to be, they they got to beat this Ole Miss team. So I'm excited about that. I was very excited about Oklahoma-Ohio State until the performance we saw on Saturday. Um, but I think Louisville-Florida State, look, Jeff and I on Pylon U, we said that Louisville is the most important team in college football this year because they play Florida State, they play Clemson, but they also play Houston. So at the end of the year, they could be the team looking around saying, hey, we deserve to be in the playoff if they win a couple of these games. The way they affect the schedule – Few teams, few teams do. So Florida State-Louisville is going to be one of the games of the year, I think. Well, and I'll tell you what, that Alabama-Ole Miss game, you talk about you know the storylines going into that. First of all, you got Ole Miss playing at home. So, okay, you know, a little bit more difficult for uh, Alabama to head over to Oxford there. But then you also take a look at the schedule, and it doesn't get any easier for Ole Miss after that. They're going straight, or rather they got Georgia coming straight in again the week after. So you yep. got a couple big games stacked up. And, you know, I'll tell you what, they don't put it together against Bama. You're potentially looking at one and three with the rest of the season on the line there, and that's not a good place to be in the SEC. Not at all. It's a big game uh, for Georgia as well. I mean, I think that they, they're good enough to win the East, but to win the East, you got to beat your cross-division rivals. And, of course, this year, uh, with it being Ole Miss, that's that's the game they have to win. It's going to be a se- season-defining game for both programs. And I predicted Ole Miss would take a step back nationally this year. Uh, for about three-quarters of the game on Monday night, they made me look foolish. And then Florida State rallied and ends up winning. But, yeah, it's a big year, I think, for the Ole Miss program. And, and I think we could spend a whole pod just talking about it philosophically. If they if they struggle this year wins-loss-wise, and then the sanctions come down with, with Hugh Freeze and stuff surrounding Laramie Tunzel and that – uh, class from three years ago. Uh, this is just an important year for the the present and the immediate future of Ole Miss. Now, Shane, I know obviously that uh, that Ohio State Oklahoma game is at seven thirty uh, next week on Saturday night. But right alongside that game that's near and dear to my heart, you got the Brain Bowl going on. Okay, you familiar with the Brain Bowl? What's the Brain Bowl? Duke Northwestern. Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you, Duke Northwestern is where I discovered a young man with the greatest yeah. man bun in college football last year named Dan Vitale. Okay. It's true. Look it up. Great players come out of that game. Great players will continue to come out of that game. All I'm you got saying, Anthony Walker, one of the best linebackers in the country for Northwestern. Um, future pro. So you're right. Second, you know, Another year for this game to produce a future pro. Tell you what, that, that Northwestern team, they're fun to watch. You know, they're, they're, they're a fun team to watch. I, you know, I don't get to see them as much as, as I like to, just because obviously, you know, the, the game times and the television kind of moves around a little bit. But I'll tell you, they're always fun to watch. They're well coached. You know, it, it's, it's a good team just to pay attention to because you always get a couple guys coming out of there that are able to do a couple things. So Yeah, yeah. and Pat Fitzgerald, there's not 10 coaches I respect more than him. Oh, he's he's been a Northwestern lifer. You have to love him. Love Pat Fitzgerald. So, any case, uh, Shane, we're wrapped up for the day, but appreciate you stopping by. All right, man. You know, uh, you know, my phone's always on. Shoot the text, and I'll uh, I'll be happy to join. 
Always, my man. Shane Alexander from the Pylon U Podcast. Make sure you go over, subscribe to it. They put a great show on talking college football all week, so make sure that you get to listen to Shane and Jeff as much as possible. We are done for the day tomorrow. Joined by Dave Archibald for a special edition of Kicker Friday here on the podcast. That is it for today. Chuck Zada signing off, and we will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.